the God who knows all, reveals all, and loves us all. And you reveal to us yourself uh, because you love us and you care for us. It's a great thing to know the living God. It's a wonderful thing to be in contact, living contact with the Most High God. So we honor you, Most High God. We thank you for being in our midst today. Just take over and do what you want to do today, Lord. We honor you and we love you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen. So Pastor Shirley is in Detroit beautifying. Amen. She's beautifying our sanctuary there. And so, amen. So they sent pictures, and it looks very, very nice. And uh, she was saying everybody's excited about it. And I said, don't get excited when I'm there. You just wait till I get back. I'm going to say, get excited. Got excited for Gigi. Get excited. But anyway, praise the Lord. But it's nice, so we we just love God and thank him for these things. She's much, much better decorating than I am, and uh, she does it. Well, you say, yeah. See? It's you in the right place. (laughs) See, the mourner's bench, if we know the mourner's bench, you're supposed to be quiet until God accepts your confession, and then you can... I don't know what they did up there, but I, I know it'd be working for some people. But anyway, yeah, it's dangerous to say amen in today's no. <laughs> just ain't going to get right today, Sister McKinney. Praise the Lord. Get right, church, and let's go home. <laughs> Whatever. Praise the Lord. So, anywho, <laughs> no, but... Uh, we uh, we got a little small building. It's just big enough to do, I think, everything we need to do sanctuary-wise. And so it's it's nice that she took it upon herself to go up there and do some things and help out. And I about get tired, y'all. I, don't I keep doing little churches over and over and over again. So, But uh, anyway, God is good, and he's found us a place where we feel we'll be comfortable for a season and and just uh just needs to be worked on look more like a sanctuary so it wasn't no dump when i was there <laughs> okay i'm done but anyway did i pray yeah yeah i prayed okay all right okay let's get ready all right <laughs> praise god so today we're going to talk about the fact that your distraction may be your deliverance amen your distraction may be your deliverance in studying the Word of God, I find something very, very uh, peculiar to God, and uh, it seems to set up a pattern, and that is when God calls somebody, he distracts them from their normal routine of doing things. And not to distract you for a season and you go back to it again, but this is a permanent distraction that he allows to come into our lives to break up the normal routine, which really is not benefiting us for the most part. Uh, His timing is impeccable when he intervenes and when he comes into a person's life. How many of you, when you got saved, you can look back and say, boy, that was just in the nick of time because I really need it. So, So his timing is impeccable, and he works through the power of distraction. Um, There is something about God announcing himself in your life, uh, 
revealing himself in your life that you must come aside from your normal routine in order to experience God. Proverbs 4, uh, 20 says, and he's talking to sons, pay attention to my word. Incline your ear. You know, give it your whole attention, all of your senses. God wants focused on his word. And then he says, if you'll do that, you'll find life, health, wholeness, salvation, deliverance, healing, whatever it is that you need, but you must give the word your full attention. And I think we have a lot of ADD people (laughs) running around the church. You know, they got a little short. You you know, somebody in the memory of a gnat. They get involved in stuff for a hot minute, and then they're done with it, moving on to something else. And they haven't even scratched the surface and begun to explore what it is that God has in store for them. And so we have to understand that there are some uh, rules, you know, rules of engagement God has set for him, uh, between him and humanity. When God calls a person, that person must depart from his normal routine in order to respond to the call of God. Now, when I say call, I mean call, number one, to relationship, to salvation. This is not just for people who I'm called. Well, we all are, you know. Did you answer is my question to you. Some people still think they answered and they ain't answered the first time. Just a thought, you know. I mean, there's answer and there's answer, and we'll see that. God has already set the rules of engagement for a a proper response to his call. When God calls a person, he must get their full attention. They must forsake all, just like the disciples did. So I don't care what level, quote unquote, you're called to. You'll never know, and there are no levels of calling God. There are gifts their purposes, their visions, and their plans. D.L. Moody was said to be the most influential layman ever. He wasn't even a preacher, but he led thousands of people in, in New York of all places, were led to Christ, or New York or Chicago, I forget what, he was in a large city, but he did so much. He started uh, um, uh, groups, youth groups and churches and all kinds of things. He was a soul winner, but he didn't call himself a five-fold ministry gift. He called himself a layman. He just did what he felt a believer was supposed to do. But look at the grand scale on which he was able to do it. Did more than a lot of ministers can do as far as affecting numbers of people is concerned and so whatever you are called to we all must first respond to relationship with god and he builds begins that relationship by demanding we be distracted from our normal routine and come aside and see what he has to do it requires as we said a full attention and full commitment commitment refers to the heart uh the condition of your heart toward god is it holy toward god or are there other things that you keep in reserve 
so that you don't have to give him everything. You got me? Um, there are, see, there's a place where your surrender must be complete. And then God will show you what things in your life you have some flexibility with. Because that's what everybody's looking for. Everybody's looking for a loophole in the way out. You know what I mean? So he will, he will show you uh, that he's a reasonable God. You know, he's not calling you to, to go away and live in a monastery somewhere because he know most of y'all won't do it. You don't be putting it out. Well, I think he spoke to me, but when did he speak to you? Mm, it's been a while. So he doesn't, he's not in stuff like that. You know, when he, when he tells you, there's, there's like no negotiation up front. Up front, you got to give everything. And the negotiation is down the road, if there is any. Me, myself, I would just, knowing God like I do, and I ain't, you know, speaking for a whole lot, but I would not try to negotiate anything. Because you don't have the wisdom, the foresight, the knowledge, anything to know what's necessary and what's not necessary. See, he's not like your parents. You know, my mother would say, girl, go clean up that kitchen. First thing you did was open the oven to see if there was pots already in there. If it wasn't, you stuck the dirty pots. <laughs> don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Huh? So the first thing the human mind wants to do, the selfish, carnal human mind wants to do, is find a way out of commitment. When I got married, all I could think of was, if it don't work out, everybody that's married or been married, say, amen, help me out here. You're looking for a loophole. Because you, you watch Oprah, you see all them people go crazy and go jumping on folk and taking up and go get on drugs and tear stuff up. And you don't want to be married to nothing like that. Yeah. I'm going to take my Bible and go sit in there with them. Huh? I mean, you want to be committed. But somewhere down there, you think of, hmm, if this really gets tough, what do I do? So everybody does that. Tell me your mind don't go there. We do the same thing with God. You think it's anything different because he's God? We're always looking for ways out. huh? Black Friday. That's Friday, not Saturday. You got me. You got an appointment, a divine appointment, er Saturday, huh? And er Sunday, you got a divine appointment. So Black Friday can be Black Friday. You can run out there to Target and all them, uh, you know, unisex bathrooms if you want to. But God has divine appointments set for us, and we have to keep them continually, continually. 
I know it gets boring and it gets, oh boy, here we go with these same prayers over and over again. Oh, I wish Tanya would get some more music on there. Why she keep playing the same? Huh? Over and over and over and over. Routine is good for you. Huh? If it's a God routine, he knows how to break the routine up. Huh? You know, he'll do a miracle here and there. Huh? And you might be the one that needs it. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? <laughs> in order for him to break up the routine, something unusual, unique, and unfortunate has to happen. So be glad for the routine, okay, folks? Just be glad. <laughs> I want to see miracles. You might be the miracle. Huh? So be glad for the routine. God knows how to get people's full attention. And he requires full attention and full commitment. We need to respond appropriately to God. And he requires the appropriate response from everybody. Nobody is immune from the appropriate response i don't care how busy your life is already there is an appropriate response to god he knows how busy you are he knows what you do he knows what you don't do but he's timed his introduction into your life appropriately for what he wants you to do not for what you got going on already because this is going to be a change huh to your boring little routine, which you don't like anyway, huh? always complaining about it, always up at the altar needing prayer. Well, God is going to fix all that. Amen. He'll arrange a divine appointment that's going to be a pull away from your normal routine. It's going to cause you to have to make the decision to let go of your normal routine and pick up what he wants you to do. The Bible has a clear pattern laid down. For how God reveals himself to man. This is the call. It begins with a revelation of God. See, you have to know who you're serving in order for you to have a full understanding of whether or not you can do this and what's required. So God will reveal himself in the way you need to know him so that you can complete what he asks you to do. In fact, he doesn't ask. He commands that we do things. Amen. He's not asking our permission to come into our lives. He knows that he created us for a purpose, and he's calling us back to that purpose. That's all. Your life is dull, boring, uninteresting, huh? and sending you to hell without God. And he knows how to get you to understand where you're headed if you don't say yes to him. And he times it so that it makes sense to you to accept his offer and not put it off. Got me? So in Mark 120, we'll see how Jesus dealt with his disciples. Start there. Mark chapter 1. Let's see where we want to do. Why don't we drop back to verse 14. This is after Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And it says, Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. It's time. 
when God call, comes to you, it's time then, not six months down the road after you had a chance to pray about it, think about it, get 15 confirmations and 17 conversations that talk you out of obeying God. The time is now. And he says, the kingdom of, of heaven is at hand. I mean, it's right here. Repent and believe the gospel. So as Jesus went preaching, he preached consistently the same message John did. John was put in prison because he said, he prophesied over himself and said, I must decrease so that he must increase. So God never has like two major players on the stage at one time, the same stage. Now he has many servants many ministers spread out everywhere but he will only there's only can only be one leader to which people are drawn and so john knew that he would forerun the message of his cousin jesus and so when jesus came on the scene that meant john would have to fade into the background and so jesus starts preaching and he says repent and believe the gospel now as he walked by the sea of galilee he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, come after me or follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Right away, they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And right away he called them, and they left their father in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. Now, that's pretty deep. When you leave something, you run the risk of that something being disturbed. So here's Jesus bringing the distraction into their normal routine right in the middle of it. Why didn't he wait until after they were done? I mean, seriously, in politeness, why did he not wait? Because that's not his pattern. This pattern was established from the day of Moses almost, we see it. The pattern is to come into a person's life, interrupt their normal routine, distract them from what they normally will be doing, get their full attention, and compel them to follow you. Which means there's an element of sacrifice always involved in following the Lord. Jesus wants that set up from the beginning, that you are going to have to leave something that you hold dear. You're going to leave something that's important to you. You've got to, didn't I leave heaven? I left my glorious estate. I came down here in the form of a baby, and I gave everything for you. Well, you're going to have to do give a like sacrifice. That's covenant. Amen. The essence of covenant is there is a like sacrifice given on the part of both people. Now, the stuff we give up, to be honest with you, is usually stuff that's got us in trouble. Our desires that aren't clean, our attitudes that aren't proper, everything that sin has caused in our life and wreaked havoc in our life, that's what we leave behind. But there are also things that our carnal life has built that we're comfortable with that we have to forsake those as well. 
And so here you see the Jesus coming to them while they're at work and telling them to leave their nets. And his call was so compelling that it was a stronger pull on them to follow him than it was to stay and complete doing what they were doing. And that's one of the signs of the call of God. It is not just a casual invitation will come by when you feel like it. Uh, this is some maybe you might be interested and maybe not. You know, like selling perfume or something like that. Maybe it's not your scent. But it's a compelling call that causes you to hear a deeper voice, a different voice, a voice that continues to ring in your spirit that won't go away. It's a voice that kind of reverberates where you know it's serious. You know this is something different. It has a different uh, tone to it. It has a different power to it. All of that is totally different when God calls you and compels you to follow him. And that's what caused these disciples to get up and leave what they were doing immediately. Follow. It wasn't because they didn't like killing in the nasty nets. I mean, they, they didn't, but they probably got used to it. And they were motivated because this was their livelihood. But when Jesus calls, there's something in that call that compels you to drop it's nothing you've ever heard before and it will compel you to drop what you're doing it's like this is the most important thing that has happened to me in a long time and i need to obey this voice the other thing is that jesus fit the bill of the rabbi the old testament rabbi when in uh, rabbis would select their students you didn't just go to school and they start teaching you they had a way to select people that were uh, picked because the rabbi saw something in them or whatever his standards were he was the one that selected who followed him now there were people who voluntarily followed jesus as well and so rabbis could also, you know, you could make application to the rabbi and say, can I be a part of your school and come into it too. Remember, he anointed the 70 to go out and, and you know, uh, do the works that he was doing. And so there were people who are called. There are people who volunteer and respond to the call. So the call goes out to whosoever. It will never be said of Jesus that he only selects certain people and doesn't include everybody else so it's a whosoever call but it's also a choice call so when you respond to the call of god you're not sure what you're responding to you're not sure if you responded to the whosoever or if you responded to the he chose me but you know you're included huh you know you're included and you know you're important when he calls you because he begins to reveal himself to you and begins to fill in dark places that nobody else could fill in before nobody else can understand you and help you to understand why you're a certain way or why you like this but when you talk to the lord you're totally comfortable with yourself in that thing so if nobody else loves you, you know God loves you. huh? If nobody understands you, you know God understands you. If you're not acceptable to anybody, you know you're acceptable to God. And that's what makes his call different than what anybody else can, can invite you into in life. 
So Jesus fit the bill of the rabbi. These people went and followed him right away. Where it says straight away, they didn't waste any time. When he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that phrase meant different things to different people, but it was inviting to everybody. And so he was he had been revealed as the son of God when John the Baptist baptized him. So there were certain disciples, I'm sure, who followed what was going on with Jesus. And if they understood the scripture, they would see that scripture was being fulfilled with him. Uh, and messianic scripture was being fulfilled with him. So they were following him, believing that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who was coming to restore the kingdom to him, to them. And so that restoration of the kingdom meant different things to different people. Many people just thought about it in a secular, natural way. And so they assumed that Jesus was going to overthrow the natural government, which Caesar controlled. So they saw him as an enemy of the state who was going to take everything and give it to them. And they fought over who was going to sit at his right hand and at his left so they could control everything. See what I'm saying? So people then and now have totally carnal understanding about God's kingdom. And see, when we pray and we don't get what we want right away, and we want to fall out with God because he's not giving us the goodies he promised to give us, but then he says the kingdom is cannot be seen. It's invisible. It's not righteous. It's not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So, okay, if I'm working for you in this kingdom you have, and it's not material things, then why do you let me pray for material things? Because that is a benefit of the kingdom, but that ain't the kingdom. The kingdom's within you. You can't put a car inside of you. You can't put a house inside of you. And so constantly people get confounded about this kingdom, and the disciples did too. Everybody thinks it's material goodies, wealth transfer. Everybody's waiting for it. I think we're going to have to work for anything. <laughs> just, just, it's between me and you. It ain't going to come falling off trees. Huh? Even people who want to see wealth rest, restored to this country will make sure you get a job <laughs> to get that wealth in. They're talking about making jobs more available. This ain't no great wealth transfer is going to come sitting up in your garage out of nowhere. And so God is going to make sure that the values of the kingdom are upheld. And this is what confounded the disciples. They were, were lomo disappointed when Jesus was crucified. They said, man, what happened to I? Ain't going to be no sitting at the right hand and the left now. You understand what I'm saying? And so many times people will get discouraged with what they see happening in, in the world and with uh, the things of God simply because their understanding of kingdom is a little backwards. But God is constantly working to straighten that out for us. So Jesus begins to call people unto himself and he distracts them from their normal routine. They are in the midst of doing what they always do. 
and then he comes into their lives as a divine distraction. What was the divine distraction for his disciples? The distraction factor is the requirement. We must allow the distraction to take over in order to find out what God has called us to do. So it can't be you're distracted from that for a little bit and go back to your normal routine. Your distraction then, you have to step into it and trust it and follow it as far as it goes. And so many times we're stepping into it, say like on a, when the meeting is going on situation, your meeting is not the kingdom. The kingdom is a spiritual realm that you live in every day. The meeting is part of what prepares you for living in the kingdom every single day. And so then your distraction, what was your distraction after a while becomes a way of life. Sometimes we feel like we're kind of sucked into it, you know. We get involved and then there's more to do and there's more to do and there's more to do and there's more to do. And then pretty soon that thing that you thought was just going to be a temporary thing has taken over your life. And you find that it takes over to the glory of God. Because you get into the kingdom, you find out there are great benefits to living this way. And then you make the decision inside of you, this distraction now is an attraction to me. See, your distraction will become your attraction. And that's how you get drawn over more and more into the things of God. But you've got to pay attention. You can't be the turn on and turn off type person. You can't turn it on when you're in, in church and turn it off when you get outside the door. This kingdom is within you. And if you what you what happens inside the church doesn't cause that kingdom to grow, there's something wrong. There has to be a divine deposit made within us on a continual basis to keep that attraction going and not just it be a distraction now. See, you can't be 10 years down the road and still being distracted and go to church. Like what you do in your job is your normal routine and church is a, a side. Some you go to and you leave it there and you come back into your normal. Your distraction now has to become your normal. Which amazes me because look at what God can do with only your two days a week that you give to him. He can take over your whole life with what's deposited just in that short period of time. So anything that's that powerful, you need to be attracted to it. Huh? Look at the little bit that we do as far as prayer is concerned. You're not on your face eight hours. Now, I know some people who do. (laughs) I just never have. I don't know. Maybe there's a whole new world out there. (laughs) But, you know, I get tired. I get sleepy. I'm just being honest. I know some people who can hang in there for hours and hours and but I just never been there. <laughs> you know, and now listen, I've tried. I've tried to do the clock thing. It's easier for me, I put it to you this way, it just seems more normal to me, to walk in a constant awareness of God at all times and find out what I need to do and let him lead me 
into these things. You know, I, I, to be honest with you, now Brother Summerall is a person, he says he prayed all night for a ticket to get on a, a, a train, and it was necessary for him to do that. I think, though, as he grew in the Lord, it didn't take that long anymore. Not that I'm all that grown. You understand what I'm saying? But I think that some of that has to do with not really understanding, not really knowing what it takes, and doing as much as you need to do until you get that breakthrough. So the important thing is that you get that breakthrough and you get that understanding of what God wants you to do. That's important. Ours is not important. But just to to make my point, how short a period of time we spend with God and look at the great benefits that we get from it. I mean, the great result that we get from what we do devote to God. I think a lot of it has to do with our sincerity. A lot of it has to do with uh, uh, God understanding our lifestyle and wanting to maximize on what what happens in our lives for instance if you if you have a difficulty in an area of your life it never fails but god will start requiring you to pray for somebody who has a similar situation and it's not that you you like that problem better than others or anything it just happens that way why that's part of god's economy of things you know if you extend for somebody you're automatically extending for you so you don't have to pray twice and get overburdened with your problems and, and somebody else's needs as well. So he cuts the labor short by allowing us to be able to take care of our own needs while we are taking care of the needs of others. And that's part of his, his kingdom economy. The other thing is that when Jesus called them, it was the rabbi's custom to call their students There were some students who volunteered to be disciples, we said that, but they immediately had to leave and follow Jesus. So the requirement is always the same. If you voluntarily get saved or whatever, it's still the same requirement as if he calls you. You understand what I'm saying? You must follow wholeheartedly, give up everything and follow the Lord. He was the divine distraction to his disciples. The distraction factor is the requirement. So we must all allow the distraction to take over in order to find out what God has called us to do. Distraction causes us to realize a world we did not know existed before. Or we were not as familiar with. It becomes a whole new world. This is the part that can be attractive to people. It can be interesting to know that something is out there that you didn't know was out there before, and now you have access to it. I can remember having been saved for a while, and then I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I couldn't believe everything I was seeing, hearing, experiencing differently because I had entered into a different depth and dimension of the spirit realm. So it was enough I thought, being saved and understanding salvation. But after being baptized in the Holy Spirit, it was like another veil had been come open. And I was aware of uh, different comings and goings. I was aware. It seemed like it was endless. Something endless opened up to me. 
And I didn't know everything that was out there, but I knew there was a lot more out there than I ever knew before. And so these experiences will come to us when we allow the distraction to be the thing that attracts us now to the Lord. So we don't let it just be a distraction. We decide to step into that door of revelation, of understanding, and of opportunity. If we allow the distraction to lead us, sometimes it can be frightening. And this is why many people shrink back after they put their hand to the plow. There's a fear there. The biggest fear is we can't control everything anymore. That's the whole thing. At least if you're familiar with it, even if it's not serving you well, you know what to expect. And somehow there's a comfort there for people, whereas if we go into this door and we've never been in it before, we don't know if it's going to be good, bad, indifferent, or whatever. That's why many times we'll look for 15 confirmations to make one simple decision, you know, like we were not sure. Like what could go wrong? You know, you could at least find out if it's good or bad on the other side of the door. And so God gives us allowances to help us to know that he will compensate for our shortcomings. And so he is very patient with us as we embark on this new world that he's introducing us to us through divine distraction. If we become distracted only and then go back to the old way, we will not accomplish all that God has planned for us. And that's real typical. People do that. The disciples did that. In John 21, you'll see that. This was after Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. John 21, this is after Jesus revealed himself to Mary and, and the other Marys, to Thomas. Verse 21, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And this is how he showed himself. They were together, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and the sons of Zebedee, the two other of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, I'm going with you also. They went forth and entered into the ship. And as they entered into the ship, what happens? The distraction comes again. Huh? Jesus will always appear to you in a way he knows he can get your attention. He never leaves you, never forsakes you. Once you're called, he doesn't repent of having called you. But if he needs to initiate the process all over again to get your attention, to get you focused again, he will do exactly that. So there are many people who pick up the gospel and preach and love God and are on fire for God. And then they go back fishing again, go back to the same old routine they knew before. Some people drift over to it. Some people go into it full blast, but it is possible to get yourself in a, a condition to where you don't like the distraction anymore. Sometimes if it takes a long time, you get bored waiting for you don't know what. But you want something to happen and you want it to happen soon. And it's not happening fast enough. And so God knows these things. And so he prepares the distraction again. 
so Jesus appears to them, and what does he do? He asks them, you caught anything? There's that familiar voice again. No, we haven't caught anything. Verse 6, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and that's where it is. They cast it, and now they're not able to draw it out for the multitude. And then it dawns on them. Guess who this is? So God reveals himself. He knows when you're about to lose it, when you're about to backslide, when you're about to do something else. And he will intervene sovereignly and provide the divine distraction again to get your mind away from the comfortable, the familiar, the complacent, the boring that you're trying to make exciting all of a sudden. And he provides the second episode of distraction, the same one that got your attention before, and now he's able to get himself revealed. Jesus would appear to them in different forms. He did not look like himself, but he knew how to contact them. Revelation of God is never physical. It's always internal. And so Jesus knows how to turn that switch on on the inside of you that recognizes him so that you'll know the right way to go. So they went back to fishing, but the distraction was because the distraction was no longer attractive to them. And God knows when that's happening in people's hearts. Jesus had to been crucified and then resurrected, but this was different from what they envisioned in their lives. So there will become times where we are going down the road that we don't like, it's not familiar, and we wonder how long we're going to be able to stay on that road, and then God will reveal himself to us again. To help us to stay on the road and and to go on with what he gives us so much help folks he gives us so much help it's it's almost impossible (laughs) to completely divorce yourself from god once you've made that commitment to him so we'll always have visions dreams and ideas that compete with the attraction of god It's always going to come things that pop up. Sometimes you may not think so, but the enemy knows how to present things to you and they wear down on your soul and they start getting attractive to you. How we recognize and overcome these will make a difference in the response and the success of the call. Some people live in a mediocre response to God simply because they're reluctant to give everything over to him. And they never get... See, the reason they don't like serving God so much is they've never entered in and really fully done anything. You get me? The, and the devil knows that if he ever lets you fully experience God, there's no turning back for you. See? And so that's what God's aiming for is to get us in the, what we call the fullness of understanding him, the fullness of serving him, the fullness of walking with him. So we'll have that experience that gives us that taste that we don't ever want to lose. And so we'll just crave more of it if we ever get the fullness. First uh, Samuel, if you'll turn there, First Samuel 13. I think we're going to look at Saul. Saul is somebody who never really experienced the fullness of obedience to God. And this is why he failed so miserably. 
But that's not you. <laughs> First Samuel 13. In verse 1, it says, Saul reigned one year. Now, he didn't even get obedience for a good year before he was back in his old habits again. Do you remember Saul's distraction? Remember chasing donkeys? Yes. Yeah, that was his distraction. His experience pulled him away from being uh, the son of Kish, who had everything handed to him. He had to get out on his own and find his father's donkeys. And this was a new thing for him. Remember, he kept wanting to go back and kept wanting to go back. And the servant had to prod him and make him continue to go forward. Now, that should have given somebody an indication he would not be a good leader. You got me? But God chose him anyway. And I'll tell you why God chose him, because he knew the people would like him. The people asked for a king. God gave them what they asked for. They never said, God, you choose the right person for us. They said, we want somebody that we like. And so uh, uh, Saul was taller than anybody there. He looked regal, and they thought, well, he'll look good in a robe with a crown on his head, so we'll take this guy. But Saul was very, very stubborn. He was very willful, and he was not a good candidate for king. And so we see him now in his uh, uh, role of serving God and being a king. And he says, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul at Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan at at, uh, Gibeah and Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. Jonathan killed the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it, and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews all hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten the garrisons of the Philistines, and that Israel also was had an abomination with the Philistines, and the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. Drop down to verse 13. Verse 10, and it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me. In other words, the people were leaving me. And he said, and that you came within the, not within the appointed time that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Mishmash. Therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down upon me, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I did your job. I took your place. And so Saul, because he did not have experience with God and trusting God, got impatient when he couldn't get an answer and did the job of the prophet priest and made an offering to the Lord, which was illegal for him to do. And so Saul has this problem. He gets constantly pulled back into his own ways instead of following the divine distraction that God has given him. Because if it takes the prophet extra time to get there, God's not going to let you die. 
But Saul doesn't know that. He doesn't want to find that. He's not interested in finding that out. Did you hear what I said? This is what keeps most people from, you know what? If you could delay your impulse for 24 hours, you could get your deliverance in most situations. See? Because Saul had no experience with these things. He didn't know he could trust God to help his inexperience, help his lack of understanding. God knows what you know. And he has made preparation to fill in your ignorance with wisdom. But you've got to trust God beyond what you feel comfortable with in order to get that result in your life. And so many times what becomes what God wants to make an attraction to us becomes a bother to us. Most people, when they talk about praying for something, the first thing that pops into you is going to take too long. How long is it going to take? When God works, you see all over in the Bible, God it says, and suddenly, and suddenly, God knows when you're tired of waiting. And if he knows you're tired of waiting, he's going to make you wait longer. I got news for you. You know why? Because he knows waiting won't kill you. In waiting, you'll develop, you'll learn to lean into something he calls the fruit of patience. And you'll lack nothing. See, the worst thing the devil has to contend with is patient believers. Oh, okay, well, I don't know what I could tell you in that place. But if the devil knows it doesn't bother you to wait for God to do something, he can't push you to do something in a hurry. Huh? You're a threat to him. Huh? That's why, you know, a lot of times when we see older uh, saints in the church, they have this something that we're attracted to, but we don't want to admit it because we're scared of the price you might have to pay to get it. But it seems like those people are never bothered by anything. They're never upset by anything. You can go to them with any prayer request and they'll assure you that God will do that for you. You don't think that person's a real threat to the enemy? Because he can't push them. He can't, he can't get them to work by impulse. He can't move them people. And so it's good to understand that God is working that in you while you're having to wait for something that you think you can't do without. He'll prove the devil to be a liar in your life. So Saul committed that sin, and he was fired from being God's king. And it didn't take much. God didn't show much patience with Saul at all. When he was done with him, he was done with him. Amen. When you're a leader, you're held to a higher standard than everybody else is, and rightfully so. You at least have, it's not that leaders know everything, but they have access to the God that knows everything. And you have to depend on that access more than you depend on your knowledge. And so that's why you stay close to God. Because you know that if you let go of him, you really are lost. And so good leaders, instead of trying to go out on their own and make a name for themselves, stay on their face before God so they can always pull from God and get answers and get understanding. So 
Saul was anointed king by uh, Samuel, and he was also dethroned by the same Samuel. Samuel had to tell him that he was not he was not going to be king any longer. In 1 Samuel 16, you see what God did. He never leaves us without proper covering, without proper leadership. He always has somebody already planned to step into your life to help you. You know, I, I just look at sometimes people, they'll say things like, well, I can't find a good church. Are you really looking? You understand? Are you really looking? Because God is so committed to your welfare that he already has planned the next place for your deliverance for your feeding for whatever it is that you need many times though it doesn't match the picture in our head as to what we want you got me but you have to follow what is inside your heart and what god speaks to your spirit as to what he has for you so in first samuel 16 we see the next king who is chosen by God. And this is somebody who's actually chosen by God. David is anointed king privately. First Samuel 16, verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing as I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? So God moves very quickly, much more quickly than people are willing to believe he does. I'm going to say it again. Because, see, some of us are waiting, think we're waiting on things, and God is ready to move. He tells, he tells Samuel, listen, let it go. That guy's fired, and you know why he's fired. He said, you're going to sit up there and feel bad for him all this time? Let it go. That's for those of you who like to follow people who leave the ministry or leave the church. You quit mourning for people and trying to convince them to come. They've been convinced you to leave while you try to convince them to come back. They ain't coming back. It's God's order they ain't coming back. You understand what I'm saying? Let's get real here. This ain't no club. This is the kingdom of God. Man, we got standards around here. I don't know about you, but I'm going somewhere, and I don't want dead weight holding me back. I'm just real sorry. Sit up and mourn for nobody, and they know better. You know, your back ought to be tired from getting it bit by him. My goodness. (laughs) Can't sleep good at night, your back sore. Because all them backbiters out there talking about you need to give it up. Crazy. (laughs) Seriously. How long you going to mourn for these people? You went on and started serving the devil somewhere else and you still want them back. So in 1 Samuel 16, he said, how long are you going to mourn for him? I've already rejected him. And this is the other thing. You've got to get with God's heart on things. God already sees in people down the road somewhere and what's going to happen to them. You don't can't see it. You got me? So you need to give it up and get with where God's heart is. And God's heart is to continue the kingdom increasing and expanding. You know, everybody gets a chance to obey God, but my goodness. He said, I rejected him from reigning over Israel. 
fill your horn with oil. And he didn't sit and quit on the job. You know when a, a prophet don't have oil in his, even the dead prophet still has some oil left over. Remember the widow with the nothing but a pot of oil? Well, that was his oil that he worked with. And he was dead and his, his thing was still had some oil in it. My goodness. Samuel let the whole on. Oh, Lord, have mercy, Sally. No, he's gone. God said, I sent him packing. So get back on the job, Samuel. You know, that's something prophets have to be careful of. Sometimes if your kids are prophetic, they tend to like to brood. and <laughs> they always in menopausal. <laughs> you, know, you know, little girls when they're like six, and <laughs> you know, real easy. You know, they're prophetic kids. They pick up feelings real easily sometimes. So you kind of got to watch them, feed them the word, and kind of make them snap out of it a little Let's keep it moving here, kid. You ain't old enough for that yet. <laughs> you know, or something. But but prophets do tend to, they, they like to pray over things and figure them out, brew till it gets done. And God says, stop it. Let's just move on. And he says, I'm going to send you to Jesse in Bethlehem. And I provided a king for myself among his sons. So Saul, I have moved on. And I want you to catch up with me. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take an animal with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And that's all you say. Don't say I've come here to find a king. Samuel, get smart. Many times the things that we think are a big number is real small to God. He's got a very quick answer to some of these problems, things you think are going to keep you hindered for years. And God will give you an answer in one minute. You say, oh, I never thought of that. That's God. Amen. So he says, I want to provide a king from among his sons. Samuel said, how can I go, etc. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you will do. And you will anoint unto me him who I name unto you. Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Are you coming peaceably? Well, this was a town of backsliders now, but that was prophets had that reaction from people. When they came into town, you never knew if it was good news or bad news. They didn't have a sense of being obedient to God like you want to hear a word from God. If this was Bethlehem back then, everybody scattered. <laughs> Y'all want no word. Huh? Keep it to yourself. It's never good news. You got me? And so when the people came, the, he came, the people scattered. That made it easier for him to obey God. See, God will make it easy for you to obey him, especially in the things that are hard for you. And so then Saul comes and he begins to look at one of his sons after the other and he finds out that it's not the ones that he thought but it's the one that god picks it's the youngest kid who happens to be a shepherd now david was never called to be a shepherd but that was important for his training 
There are times when God will call you to do something that totally blows your mind as to what it is that he wants you to do. It does not have to line up with something you're familiar with. It doesn't even have to be similar to anything you know anything about. It can be something totally different. So here David's a shepherd. That's good training for him, but that is not his calling. So David goes from a shepherd to be anointed to minister. And after he's anointed, his first ministry is to the mentally ill. Saul. You got me? God will take you in places. You know, don't despise the day of small things. God will take you to prisoners. He'll say, you get a vision of a whole room full of, full, filled with people and you don't notice they got orange jumpsuits on. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> we just look at numbers, you know. Say, Ooh, look at all them people. I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be next to Joyce Meyer. Yeah, in jail. Huh? Because look at the huge prison population that's out there that needs the Lord. Somebody got to minister to them people. So David's first ministry is to Saul, who is mentally ill. And he has to play for him because David is anointed through his music from being a shepherd. So that little bitty gift that he maybe not thought much of gets him in high places. The Bible says your gift will make room for you. And put you in the midst of important people, even though they are mentally deranged. So David gets released from that job only when Saul starts throwing javelins at him. So it goes from bad to worse. His playing used to cause the, the evil spirit to depart from Saul. But this one ain't going nowhere. And so now he's throwing spears at David. And David has to run. And he runs right into his calling. You got me? His true calling. So don't be shocked if some of the things God gives you to do are not where you will wind up permanently. They're preparation for something greater. I see people try to make something work long after the time for it is gone, for it to be working. People who are in music now, they think they're going to, have a big crowd, sell a lot of records, and get famous. And that music is just a little proving ground for you. I mean, I know it breaks your heart. You see yourself as a producer with a big label and all that kind of stuff. That ain't what God wants you to do forever. And whether you know it or not, it's been dried up already. You're just not willing to let it go. And so many times what he gives us that we think are so wonderful and so great are merely, merely proving grounds and training places for us to get accustomed to the anointing and the power of God so we can move up into what he really calls us to do. Many of us have not reached our full potential yet. But we're kind of complacent where we are. We're kind of satisfied where we are. And we're at that point where God is going to bring another distraction into your life to move you on to the next place of reigning with him because he has to do that if his kingdom vision is going to be fulfilled so god is moving people around in his kingdom even now as we speak because he needs to get us moved to the next place of responsibility 
the next place of ministry and the next place of reigning with him. And so this is what happened with David. In 1 Samuel 17, we see David's next divine appointment. He's had a couple of them so far. He had, when he was tending sheep, he fought the lion and the bear. And he was able to subdue them supernaturally with help from God. Why? Because he stepped into a place of needing God and God was there for him. So he has supernatural strength in battle already as a little 17-year-old boy. And this is something that many have not had because they don't have experience with God like David does. See, you never know who has experience with God and what those experiences are until they're called up into service. So here we see David in verse in 1 Samuel 17. The Philistines gathered together, and the armies were gathered to battle. Goliath comes out, and he confronts the, the nation of Israel. And they stand, and they holler back at each other, but nobody's willing to engage him in battle. So they go back. Amen. Goliath says in verse 10, the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard this, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So David's father decides to send him over into battle just to take some food for his brothers to find out how things are going. So word has gotten around that things are going very slow. Because if you can take time out and send food in for a meal to a battle, come on now. They must not be fighting over there, and everybody knows it. And so David's father said, go check on your brothers. You know, the army only has so much provision. They must be out by now, so I don't want my boys to starve. Take them some food over there because they ain't doing nothing but stand up hollering at this giant. And so David decides to prepare the meal and go over and he runs into the distraction of God again. He's just there to serve food and go home. But he gets distracted by this giant who's cussing them out, talking about their mamas, telling them, you ain't coming over this line, I'm going to hurt y'all. And David gets incensed on the inside. Something triggers on the inside of him and it's not his anger management problem this time. It's a righteous indignation at this Philistine, this sinner, who is defying the armies of the living God. And David knows the Philistines have no power because they serve all these dead gods. And David said, now listen, I've seen God in battle. I've seen him do things I never thought he'd be able to do before. And these men are standing here taking this nonsense from this jerk. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine to defy the armies of the living God? And so he gets distracted from serving the meal by this conversation that's going on. And then his distraction takes over and becomes his attraction. What distracts him, he must follow up on now. This is the way it is when God really calls you. What distracted you in the past now, you must follow up on it because there's something inside of you that won't let go of it. It's called the call of God. 
There's something inside of you that keeps drawing you toward it, no matter how many people discourage me. How many people have been told, you're not called God. Oh, Lord, if you're a woman, you ain't called no women. I say, I ain't no woman. (laughs) I'm a child of God. We don't classify people like that. There's no male or female in Christ. Didn't you read your Bible? Huh? All that gets washed away by the blood. You understand? He calls gifts. He calls abilities. He calls us. And so David then is discouraged by his brothers. His brothers are jealous because he's talking big and bad and they're afraid to. When faith comes into the picture, it convicts everybody who's in unbelief. They start falling like dominoes. And they start challenging you with their words. Who do you think you are? You think you're better than everybody. Oh, God won't do that for you. Because I know people that tried that already never worked for them. So people will try to talk you out of your position in God. Or they will accuse you of something to distract you from the distraction that you're now attracted to. You got me? When faith comes in, it's like a nail being hammered into a coffin for people who are in unbelief. They hate it. And they fight faith with everything that is within them. They can't stand it. The devil knows if he lets faith get loose in a lot of these situations where he's got a hold on people, he'll never get it back again. So he'll assassinate your character, threaten you and your family, call your names. Huh? How many phobes have we been called? <laughs> because we don't believe in abortion. We know homosexuality is sin. It's not even debated. We don't decide what sin God does. It's already been decided. And it's already been judged. So these people are under divine judgment, but they want to blame the one who carries the message as being the author of the message. Don't let the devil fool you like that. This message is God's message. It's always been his message, and it will never change. And so all you're doing is being the messenger of a message that won't change. So David becomes attracted now to this conversation about Goliath, and he begins to step into his distraction because he's attracted to it. One sure sign that you're on the right track from God is once you step into it, You'll hear a million voices telling you that it's not for you. Huh? There was, you're not qualified. You're not smart enough. You don't read enough words. Look at you. You've do, you done this and you've done that. Always bringing up your past. Amen. If you don't know your sins are forgiven, this will help you get to know that. Because if you're going to stay in that arena of obedience to God, you're going to have to constantly know that you're blood washed. You're going to constantly go back to God, getting assurance that you're okay with him so that you can go forward in what he wants you to do. Because righteousness is everything. So David stands against this Goliath. He finds himself back in the presence of Saul. Saul is a little um, surprised that David is the one who's going to go out and kill him. Why? Because he knows David is the kid who plays the harp for him when he's not well. And so here we have another shock to people when they see 
what's really inside you and how God has called you to function in his kingdom. Eventually, David will be known as a warrior. And many times you will be known as a certain thing among people. And you know you've hit your call. That's one way of knowing you're doing it. When you're successful in it, that's one way of knowing it. But many times you'll hear people come to you and say, well, what does your Bible say about so-and-so? You're beginning to be known as the person who has the spiritual answers for them. When people are sick, they'll call you or they'll, you'll find that, that God has people get in touch with you almost out of nowhere. That's when you're being known. You're in your call then when you're being known as the person who can do these things. And so God has that place for all of us where we have to, to allow the distraction to grab our attention long enough for it to develop into a calling. And that's what David finally hits when he gets to this uh, uh, battle that his brothers are supposed to be fighting in, but there's no action there. The action is him. He brings the action when he comes into the battle because he's finally hit the divine distraction that will define his call for the rest of his life. So much so, he was so defined as a warrior that when they had peace with other nations, God would not allow him to build a temple for him. He said, your hands have shed much blood, David. He said, instead of you building the temple for me, I'll let your son build it because it will be dedicated by a man of peace in time of peace instead of dedicated to a man of war in time of peace. There's a certain time where we have to stick with what we have and you can't deviate from it. Many people get excited about what they see other ministers doing. Everybody wants to prophesy now. I don't know why. You what I'm saying? <laughs> it gets them a lot of attention because it is the gift. But look how many sick people there are out there. Somebody needs to, to want to... Pray for the sick. I'll tell you why people like prophecy, and I, this is just me talking to you. But it's hard to verify if that's God or not. See, because if you have a healing service and nobody ever gets better, you go out of business real quick. But if you're just giving words to people... And this one goes to Ohio, and that one goes to Michigan, and that one goes to Indiana, and that one goes over here in this church. And that. Don't ask, don't tell. You got me? I mean, that's just me, because I see, I'm a very suspicious person. I watch ID Network a lot. But, but you know what, I, I think about things like that, and I said the vocal gifts, gifts are the hardest to validate. Because we don't track people down and find out if that came to pass. Huh? Have you ever done that? Tried to talk to people, and it's very, very hard to do. So it's easy to talk and say, thus saith the Lord, or God told me, or this is for somebody out there. (laughs) But if you're at the altar and somebody has a devil, you know if you cast it out or not. You got me? Absolutely. Or if somebody's sick and you get them up to walk, you know if they walk or not. They hit that floor, you just... 
cover them up real quick and say they out under the power or something. You know what I'm saying? But the thing of it is, the vocal gifts are very hard to validate. They're very hard to establish. And I believe that's why you see a lot of people flocking to want to prophesy and doing it and not doing very well with it. But, you know, God will straighten it out. And so when you hit your calling, you hit your stride and your calling, you tend to settle there. But it's not before you have probably tried out many different abilities and many different giftings that you have. And God will finally let that distraction become an attraction where you're attracted to it for the rest of your life. And you know that you've hit that and you know that you're called of God. Now, that is not to say he can't change. Or he won't have you master certain things or won't have you perfect certain things in him. But never be bored with what you're doing. Never be complacent in what you're doing. Never be because there is always more to come. Because God can always come again with another distraction to get you off of what you've been routinely doing and pull you over into a new avenue that is consistent with the call that he has for you. Okay, why don't we stop? Father, we thank you.